this. I'm enjoying a long night of Miller Lite, everyone. Yeah, Miller Lite, sir. You, you know about this? All the kids are going crazy for Miller Lite. Miller Lite lets everyone know, I'm here to have 17 of these. I'm going to gradually become a problem. In about five hours, I'm going to be an issue, but until then, Miller Lite. Miller Lite, the official beer of weekend custody, everyone. <laughs> system for a while and it's a finite amount of memory you can't use it for everything we're gonna compile for half an hour go ahead all of you we're approaching the tyrannosaur product now to the task at hand <laughs> i know that you wish to speak about your sports games incessantly but i am here for a different purpose Welcome to the Sports Antidote, episode number 141. I'm your host, Danny Belts. Get out of the way. Let the man work. That's right. And speaking of working, there's a man coming to Jazz Fest that's going to be putting in a lot of work. You know who it is. Sing it, Kenny! Kenny Loggins, ladies and gentlemen. He will be coming to New Orleans and I'll be performing the greatest act of boy, fan, fanhood, what do they call it, fanboy, you've ever seen by probably wearing leopard boxers with no pants and or no boxers with some pants, maybe nothing at all, because Kenny Loggins is coming to town. That's all I know. If you think that's weird, you're weird. Everything I said is completely normal. The drunk neighbor is out. He's getting married. I'm a big fan of Miss Neighbor. This is going to be great. I'm in the wedding. My daughter's in the wedding. And she is minus 350 to ruin this entire thing as the flower girl. Look, I'm not saying that's a good bet, but I consider that in the parlay. I don't know. We're <laughs> fingers crossed on that one. Tommy Bench is in. Bro Exotic is in. The drunk neighbor, probably just a little busy, he is out. But that's okay, I'll talk about something that happened to me in a sales meeting that has nothing to do with this show this today, but you will like it. I want to talk about Iowa-Indiana, that recent game. And then in general, what getting out of the way, let the man go to work, means by Russell Westbrook going to the Clippers. Among many other things to discuss, I played cards last night, talk about that, and then boy, did I have a bad day advising the gambling group in basketball, and that was just a day in infamy that we'll be talking about in detail on this great episode today. Be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. Be sure and follow us on Instagram, at The Sports Antidote. Reach out, touch a brother. Tell somebody about The Sports Antidote today. This is going to be a good episode. I am very fired up for this, and for a lot of reasons, we're going to be bringing in the food and beverage industry. Yes, that's right, going to the well. You know, I love doing that. Bring that in from some specific examples I've seen to discuss the topic of choice today. Topic I chose to have a very, very good one for a very good, great, good, 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 for a very good reason, which we'll get to shortly. Yesterday, I noticed the decision maker was not in the room for this massive opportunity I've been working on for a long time. I have a presentation that could convert a church-going Christian to Islam. That's how good this thing is. And I know everyone there... Very complex sale. There's a bunch of people at the table that all do different things with different P&Ls, but I got this. This is, took me a long time to make, and I never presented it. Why? Because the decision maker was arrested that day for incest, rape, and about 15 counts of sexual assault, and it looks like it was his seven-year-old daughter. So why do I bring that up? Well, <clears throat> we didn't have a meeting, needless to say, uh, but this is an example of 
why society is so screwed up right now. So hear me out. What this, what this man did is worthy of death. Death. Now. Let me establish that. Now. Yesterday. And you don't want me to be the one overseeing how we're going to do it. Because it's going on national television. If I was God for a day, this goes on national television. And then if any other pedophile rapist watches what happens to this guy, they might, not, they might think a little harder about performing some of the most heinous acts that a human being can possibly do. I mean, that is unbelievable. But we still don't have the same reaction for when I say it every week, we bring a six-year-old to a trans drag show and we're shoving dildos in his mouth, like what happened a month ago. So until the outrage equals the crime on both ends, I still can't take anything seriously when it comes to how we look at this, especially from those in authority. And I'm presuming in a city like this, they won't take what just happened lightly. Something tells me in other cities, even as horrible as that is, they may, they may walk for some stupid reason. God knows. The, I mean, we're letting murderers not even go to trial in New Orleans right now. That's a fact. We're not even having criminal – we're not even trying criminal cases of like aggravated battery, sometimes murder, assault, grand theft auto, just letting people out of jail. Because our DA is a plant, like most, and clearly has an agenda, and he is executing his company strategy. Because just like it says in Rules for Radicals, with Alinsky, as we talk about on this show probably too much, in order to really do what you need to do, and I'm not quoting this, but this is basically what it says because it's a very long description, pandemonium and madness and no order, disorder in society is all part of that plan to dismember things And what a better way to do that than by letting murderous criminals not get the justice they deserve. If you don't believe me, just go Google some articles on how New Orleans won't try criminals, and and you'll understand. Rinse and repeat in other cities like Philadelphia and Baltimore and the like, even Houston now. Houston is another city that won't try criminals. I would have never thought I'd seen the day. I lived in that city, and they didn't mess around. But apparently they do because the right people are in place to not punish people like this. Full stop, period. There's no way to get around it. I don't care what color you are. It doesn't, I don't give a shit who you voted for. This is pretty straightforward. And I think most people with a brain and a conscience would agree with that. So I played poker last night and had three picks for the gambling group. I even put in there, these are three of my favorite ones of the year. Let me tell you how that went. For those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm not betting, at least trying not to. Sometimes I get back in there. But I need to not do that because it's just a bad idea, at least for now. Not so much the losing or the winning, just because it makes me it makes me not who I need to be when I'm watching this, or if it's on and I have my phone or whatever. So we had Gonzaga minus fourteen and a half in the first half versus Chicago State, who is one of the worst teams in a really small conference, playing one of the best teams and one of the most ludicrous home court advantages college basketball has ever seen. I thought the minus 14 and a half was a big mistake in the first half. And, and it looked like it was for a minute. And Gonzaga up by 21, shooting horribly, with two minutes left, would end up surrendering 12 points while they only scored a handful, leaving the end of it as Gonzaga misses a dunk or a, like basically a finger roll. We, it was a bad bet either way, but they won the first half by 14, so we lost by a half. That's bad. Tulane, over with ECU. 151.5 is what we had. And it landed on 151 because there was six points scored in the last three minutes. We lost that by a half. And the coup de gras, the Pelicans, over one. 30, 231 and a half. We got in really early there. 
and they scored 231 points. We lost that one by a half. I needed 51 points in the fourth to win. That's all, 51 points, and the Blazers scored 19 somehow as Lillard went 0 for 97 in the fourth quarter. So three horrible losses with a ton of money for this group that's in there. And, man, this is a lot. I'm not comfortable even telling you how much was in here. I'm not comfortable even knowing myself, but I found this one out indirectly. It doesn't get any worse than that. I'm playing poker in this city that I'm in, and I'm doing extremely well. I kind of want to break this whole thing down, but not enough of you guys are into poker to understand, but I will talk about the hand. I have a boatload of money in front of me. I didn't buy into this table for much, didn't need to enough, and was able to basically roll everybody out the way. This is a table full of overconfident A players, which I'm going to beat 99% of the time. And in a hand I'll never forget, uh, on the button late at night, I have ace-king, and I'm on the button with ace-king, very solid hand. There's no bets in to me, just there's no raise, so I'm going to make it 25 to go. And then this maniac on the other side is going to make it 50 to go. So he raises the minimum. It comes back to me, and I make it 250. So I'm going to four-bet him. And this guy is horrible. And this is one of the rare instances I'll snap call his all-in with ace-king in a cash game. You never see that. That's a tournament hand for stuff like that, not a cash game, where you come and go as you please and you're playing for actual money, not denominations in a tournament. So the flop comes... King, seven, five. This is a great flop for ace-king. So I have top pair, top kicker. There's no flush combination here. It's a rainbow. And there's really nothing he could have. I don't think he would have pocket fives or pocket sevens. I don't think he re-raised me with that. I think he has a goofy-ass hand because I've been watching this guy for hours and pretty much know how he operates. So I'm in position, and he bets right into me, which is ridiculous in this situation. And I raise pretty healthily, and he snap calls me. Calls me instantly. So I'm a little concerned about that. And this guy's got more money than me. He's got the most money at the table. I have the second to most money at the table in a 2-5 game. This is a pretty big game. And then the fourth, the fourth card, fourth street, is a king. Now I have three kings with an ace. I've strengthened my hand. The king couldn't have helped him unless he has king five or king seven. I highly doubt that he has that. If he has pocket fives or pocket sevens, well, yes, I'm screwed because he would have a full house, but I know he doesn't have that. So he checks, I bet, and then he makes an outrageous overbet for a lot of money, and it made absolutely no sense. Clearly he doesn't want me in this hand. Clearly this guy's a bad player, and he is, and I go over the top all in for everything. And he sits there in agony thinking about what he has, and I have no idea what he has. And usually I'm pretty good at this. This is what makes me really good is I can pretty much figure out most of the time what I think you have and get close there too, which helps me a lot. The Dark Belts was very active in this one as I'm almost like almost having to say out loud, be quiet, because this is when it all goes insane. Of course, it probably wasn't a good move to go all in there. I easily just could have called, but I'm not sure what happened on the river really would have saved me. Spoiler alert, this didn't go well. So he thinks for a while, and then I all of a sudden know what he had. That, that I, I don't know how I didn't see this before, but I know what he has. And if I would have kept my mouth shut, he probably folds. But I coaxed him into this, and I said, yeah, I guess I'd be sweating that with 8-6-2. He has 8-6. I'm more confident he has 8-6 than I have three kings. So he's got an up and down straight draw. So I'm trying to dodge a four or a nine. Only two cards that are going to bail him out. 
tells me to go fuck myself and begrudgingly calls and rivers a nine and I shipped over. I just walked away. Didn't say a word. That's going to happen. It was devastating. And in the wake of what happened with my group, made yesterday one of the worst days in the gambling realm of my life. And that is a massive statement. Massive. And that hand hurt. And I still can't believe he called, but he did. And this happens. I just had to throw that in there. (laughs) Iowa played Indiana recently. And I don't know if you guys watched this, but Iowa had one of the comebacks of comebacks um, while Boston Dan was in town. Boy, did we have a ridiculous time. Boston Dan and I spent a night at my house, went to Chuck E. Cheese Saturday morning. I had a sign that says, Chuck E. Cheese is a fraud. It was incredible. A homeless cardboard sign like usual, and the mouse put a thumb up right next to me. We went to the coast that night, messed around, played some poker, fight, like table games, and then he stayed with my brothers uh, Sunday night and got pretty shit-faced. It was a good time from what I hear, but I wasn't there for the end of that. I had to get home. I had an early day Monday, but during uh, his stay, Iowa was down 13 points to Michigan State. The game's on. We're watching it. We leave this pizza joint thinking the game is over. And with about 59 seconds left, down by double digits, it's impossible to come back. Iowa hits every single three-pointer. Michigan State makes every free throw except for the last one they shot, which is the one that counted, because instead of going up by four, they go up by three. And Iowa plunks a three, ties it, wins in overtime. Then they take that party to Indiana. Indiana, who has one of the most ridiculous home court advantages in college basketball right now, the 15th-ranked team in the country, and rightfully so. Iowa comes out where they left off, bombing threes, Killing them, they put up 50 in the first half. And then the second half, they come out in a 1-3-1 half-court trap and ran it the entire second half. And Indiana had absolutely no idea what to do with this. They won the first half by 12 at Iowa, and then they won the second half by 20 and had one of the most impressive road wins of the season. That's up there with TCU going. TCU blowing Kansas out is, is still number one. But this one is way up there for a lot of reasons. And if McCarthy, if that, if McCaffrey wants to coach like this and throw in defensive wrinkles with this team, I mean, I'm not sure. I want to see them as a sixth seed come, come a couple weeks. And it was incredible to watch that and to watch this guy coach a masterful game as Iowa continues to light the world on fire from three. And that's a team you should be paying attention to just like every year. But this year they're under the radar. And I think Iowa – has enough seniors and know-how and manpower in that team and the bandwidth to really do some damage, especially if they can execute defensively like they did a couple days ago versus Indiana. Get out of the way. Let the man work. All right, so I see this so much, and it pains me to see it. You know, when you got talent on a field and you're containing him. I'll give you a quick example. When Mike McCarthy, the overrated coach for the Cowboys and then with the Packers, Uh, That guy was the offensive coordinator for the Saints forever, and we kind of forget about how horrible he was. Well, when Jeff Blake went down in 2000 and Aaron Brooks stepped in, Aaron Brooks did some things the NFL's never seen. The only person ever at the time to run for 100 yards in a game while throwing for 400 in a game. The Saints' offense was, was ridiculous, and they were primed for a playoff run under this guy. And he did give the Saints their first playoff win uh, earlier uh, of that same year, but Brooks was doing things... That was just unbelievable. Uh, His ability to just do things on the fly, and clearly this is what made him good. He's Michael Vick's cousin. The guy can move. But Mike McCarthy kept trying to implement this offense the next, the years to come that did not suit Aaron Brooks, 
and made him more of a pocket passer. So yes, here you have the white guy telling the black guy, no, no, we're not going to do what we know you're really good at. We're going to do what I want you to do, and that's be some three-step drop pocket pass. That's not how this works. And McCarthy failed miserably, and Aaron Brooks' talent was wasted because he should have never been in a position where the Saints were doing that. I'm not making excuses for Aaron Brooks. I don't like him, but he had a ton of talent, a big arm he could run, and when he was on the move, he was the best. He was, he was incredible. And they just made him horrible because Mike McCarthy refused to go with what he had, instead go with what he wanted. That does not work. It does not work. We'll talk about that with TCU in a few minutes. But I see this in the food and beverage industry all the time. It usually comes with over-the-top micromanaging chefs. And I've seen it. Benihana, a club GM type, could basically write a book on this. But I've seen enough to be able to write the intro to this book. And when, when there's nothing better for a restaurant when you have a hands-on owner who's in the kitchen. That means you're going to be profitable, period. Um, that does not happen too often because people find their way out of the kitchen. And that's what happened with the restaurant not far from me that we used to frequent all the time. The guy I'm going to talk about today, we'll call him Money Mike. I like him a lot. Good dude. Great athlete. Uh, guy still watches a ton of sports. He's got a ton of stories about everything I know. He's, a few, he's ahead of me. But at the same time, the people he's talking about, I know because he grew up in the same area that I did. Not far at all. He's a good dude. Well, in the kitchen, he's an assassin. This dude was the executive chef at the Fulton Five, which is one of the best restaurants in Charleston a long time ago. I missed him by about five years when he left Charleston, but we can still have all these Charleston stories, which is hilarious because we almost know the same people because no one really leaves that city except for money. Mike, so he left. So Mike was working for his restaurant not far from where I live, and this guy is so good at doing everything you need, particularly the prep. He can prep by himself. This is a huge, huge win for an owner because if your prep cook guy doesn't show up or doesn't call in and you're not a hands-on owner and you're not there and you don't know it, you ain't opening, okay? This guy can do the work of three into one. So you can pay him a little more than most but still get more money, still make a a ridiculous amount of money off this guy because he can do the work of three people. I've seen it. It's like the Tasmanian devil prepping. Now, on the line, if you wanted to use him there, he's better than anyone I've ever seen. I've watched him. He has just 30, 40 years of experience doing this, which makes him an all-pro at nearly every angle of a kitchen. You'd think you would just let him go, especially if you're an owner that's not spending a lot of time at the restaurant. One would think you would just give him the keys, literally and figuratively, as he did have the keys, but not the right keys. The keys being this one, like on a prison yard, the keys to the yard, you're the man, everything goes through you. All this guy had to do was do the same thing with him, but he didn't. And because he didn't, this guy would leave. Inevitably, it doesn't matter why. This did lead to that restaurant's demise. Nobody will admit that, but I already know it. Everybody, everybody knows this. And watching what he could do and then watching this guy come in a couple hours after the fact, late, and then just jump into a situation and try to be a coach. It's like, hold on now. You weren't in the pregame meeting. You were not at the walkthrough. You were not at the practice. You weren't here when this game started. And now you want to come in and start coaching us at halftime? Get the fuck out of here with that. Take that someplace else. Can't just jump in and start screaming. And the guy's got it all figured out. Don't worry about his methods. Don't worry about anything. He preps for three people and opens your restaurant, and you are making money because of him doing what he can do. Don't overlook that. We don't exactly live in a big city where there's a lot of talent walking around. You lose this guy, you're going to have a problem. Are you going to come in and do all this prep? We know the answer to that. No. 
So I watched them get into it one day, and it was so preventable. And all this Jeff had to do was get out the way and let that man work. All he had to do, and all he had to do was that, and he couldn't. Why is that? Why can't you just get out of the way, man? You know, I've seen this with parents not letting their kids get into a a, a band early on because they thought that they would turn into Jim Morrison or something. Your kid's got a lot of talent. Let him play. Let him figure that out. All right, he's 13. Maybe he can't call his shots yet, but don't just say the guitars of the devil. We're going to be talking about that in a few weeks. When the Bible Belt Christians do not understand something, they just say, well, it's of the devil. Pretty much like Bobby Boucher's mom in The Waterboy. Actually, it's exactly like that. 100%. We're going to talk about that. The unknown just can't be evil. And I've always had a I've argued with my dad about this. And we'll talk about that. But when it comes to this, this is a classic example of somebody trying to be hands-on when it's too late to be. And because of that, you're getting in the way. The man can't work, and it's costing you. Why? Pride? Stupidity? Foolishness? A combo? I don't know. But it's something like that. I saw it, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Equally as bad as when there was a girl I worked with who was selling banquets. For those of you who don't know, a lot of places will take banquets even if you're not part of that specific membership. Country clubs will take your money. Trust me. They'll charge you more because you're not a customer. But you want to have a wedding there, you can have it there. And you're going to talk to some salespeople. These guys are going to sell inevitably the packages to the wedding, create what's called a banquet event order, a BEO, and that's going to be the Bible of how this thing goes. All right? And on that BEO is going to be everything you've decided. What is your top shelf liquor or all the way down to beer and wine? Or what type of hors d'oeuvres do you want? Do you want the nice shrimp? Or do you want the stuff we're going to go buy from the Kroger across the street and warm it up in a freezer? Which one do you want? Warm it up in an oven because it's frozen seafood. Get it? But this girl was unbelievable. She was in the wrong profession. She should have worked with me because she was excellent. Not only was she excellent, People that sell banquets within restaurants and hotels and clubs typically are like car salespeople. In other words, they're coming to the lot. You're not going to their door. This makes things easier. Now, it complicates things. Boston Dan works at a Subaru Outback. A Subaru Outback. My God, is that appropriating? A Subaru dealership. Subaru Outback. (laughs) I know that's the car, but if you go to Outback and talk about Aussie... Go try to find an Outback in Australia. Call me when you find one. Oh, you won't. <laughs> I never will forget when I said this to a guy named Kelly Foster and he punched me in the face. I was in sixth grade. I said, Foster's Australian for queer. And he belted me right in the eye. <laughs> that was a funny one. In the bathroom. God. Oh, man. I deserve that one. But this chick was excellent because she went out and drummed up business. She was in all these groups, 4-H club, March of Dimes, always doing things outside of the norm, habitat, habitat for Humanity, and she would drive business to the club that would never have come. This is massive. This is new business. You don't even know what's going on. These people have money. They're not members because the club they're members of is way better than yours, and they're choosing to have this event there, so just go with it. And this chick was selling these things like hotcakes, and it was to people that were not members. She even went to one of the, the VA like the, the, the VA or the Viet, whatever it is, the bar for all the, <laughs> the oh man, VA, well, how can I just remember the simplest things? The Lions Club, one of those, who cares? The Elks Club, 
and got them to give them their business. But the manager, of course, did not like this. Why? Well, people were complaining, but it's complaints that won't go anywhere because the general manager is going to say, no, it wasn't booked. We're making money. What are you talking about? They'll allocate different resources from the club to take care of that on a separate line item. So it's not going to interrupt service in the other dining room or the other 10 kitchens we have. But they just couldn't help it, and they wouldn't let her do this. And it came to the point where they told her you can no longer sell events outside of the house. And she quit. And banquet sales didn't just plummet. They went full crypto two years ago. And all they had to do was just let this person go. In this case, get out the way and let this woman work. But no, they just can't do that. They just can't. Why? I, I, it's, it's ridiculous. Well, there's a lot that one can take away from that. Stuff that I see a lot in a lot of different professions that we're going to talk about before we bust into this Russell Westbrook thing. If you're a coach and you do not have the manpower to do what it is you want to do, it does not work. Rick Pitino came to the Boston Celtics years ago. What did he do? Wanted to press the whole game like he did at Kentucky. This did not work. You cannot press hardly in the NBA. The ball handling ability is ludicrous. Guys will snap that thing on their own. You can't. But he didn't care. Didn't have the personnel. No one really does. Still did it. Went down with that ship. Kind of commendable. <laughs> but stupid. But we see people try to do things outside of the realm of the talent that they're given. If you have a bunch of guys like me on your basketball team, let's say fluctuating in height but with the same athletic ability, you're not going to want to press full court. You're going to want to play a half-court man in probably some sort of zone. Just saying. There's a reason why. If, you take, if I take these principles, try to coach a team with a bunch of dudes like me, it ain't going to work unless I put in or implement a program that will make them successful into what they're doing. It has to be congruent. The mission statement of your season needs to be the same as the ability to achieve the mission statement. If not, then that's just words on a wall, which we'll see in a lot of corporations, thousands of them. And it's just mind-boggling. And we see this in sports. And we see it with Sean Payton, who tried to do all this Drew Brees stuff the last year with the Saints. And the offense was horrible. Five different quarterbacks. This is the problem I have. This guy's so smart, he couldn't get a game plan ready. We all knew Breeze was leaving. We have the fourth to worst offense in the NFL. Again, we're going to blame it on we don't have Breeze. You're trying to do kind of the same thing. Doesn't work. Doesn't work, Sean. And I bet you it doesn't work in Denver either. Because people forget. I like Sean Payton. He's really good. But he wanted Dante Culpepper with, with Nick Saban when he was in Miami. And they backed over, they backed into Drew Brees. So without Brees, there is no Peyton. And without Peyton, there still might be a Brees. I'm sorry, some people don't agree with that. They complement each other amazingly. We know that. But the real talent's finding the Hall of Famer with probably the most accurate passer ever. So there's, you know what, there's just too many of these. And I will go on tangent, 50 honors tangent here. So let me just get to the point. But see, this goes both ways. Because... When you're Mike Brown down in Cleveland coaching LeBron years and years ago, and then David Blatt, you have to know that LeBron James has the say. 
You have to know this. So when you don't change because of what LeBron wants, you're going to get fired. And that's what happened with Mike Brown, and that's what happened with Blatt, even though Cleveland was in first place at the All-Star break. They fired David Blatt. Unbelievable. Because LeBron did not want him. You're trying to coach in a style where you're treating LeBron like everyone else, and although that is how things should be, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It never will. NBA egos are bigger than anything, especially with the greatest player ever, arguably. You're not, you're not going to change things, Dave. Just get on the ride. Enjoy your big paychecks, and you're probably going to win because LeBron's pretty good, and I don't like either of these people. But I'm just saying, if you're a coach, the same thing applies. We've seen that a billion times. We just saw it with Steve Nash. Again, we've seen it with Derek Fisher. Usually players do not make good players, make bad coaches. There's too many examples of this to go around. There's a lot. But when I look at college basketball in this spectrum of how you know I want to look at things, college basketball presents great opportunities, but the NBA presents just larger ones. I'm not talking about Kevin Durant's going to the, the Golden State Warriors and they're going to be really good, of course. But people have pretty much said Westbrook is a wash. And him going to the Clippers isn't going to affect much at all. Well, to the naked eye, it would appear you're correct because they're 0-3 with him. We'll talk about that in a second. But when they got Westbrook, I was interested to see what Lou had to say, the coach of the Clippers. And he said this, I'm going to let him loose. He's a dog, but he don't need a leash. That is the greatest quote I've heard in a long time because that man is a dog. And the minute you leash him like they did in L.A. and you try to restrict what the guy can do. Not only is he not going to do what you say he can't, he's going to do things that he knows he can't, like shoot threes. It's ridiculous. But Westbrook on the right team with solid kind of archaic leadership type with Leonard and on the other end, Paul George, he would fit in nice to that jigsaw puzzle. And Lou knew off the bat to let this man go. Westbrook is still really good, really good. And in those three games that he's come in and played with the Clippers, and I took the Clippers 11-1 to 1 to win the whole thing, and that's very generous, 12-1, to 1, that's very generous odds. But in the first game, they lost in the third, second to highest scoring game ever. And it was, had about a 200 and something point, 240-50 before this happened. It went to overtime, another overtime, and they lost 176 to 175 to Sacramento. Westbrook, 17 points. 14 assists, five board, 14 assists, five boards, one turnover, one turnover, played the whole game. Then they go play Denver, the hardest place to play in basketball right now. On the road, they go out there and they force an overtime again, back-to-back overtimes, and Denver runs away. Westbrook, 17 points, five rebounds, four assists, two turnovers. And then the recent loss versus Minnesota, 108 to 101. Westbrook, 14 assists, 14 points, 10 assists, Seven boards, zero turnovers. Look, Sacramento's really good. And when they're hitting threes, they beat anyone. Denver holds the best home court advantage with the best player in the Joker I may have ever seen. I was talking to the drunk neighbor about this. I've never seen anything like it. In that game, the Joker had 40, 22, and 14, by the way, with one turnover and shot 78%. So, (laughs) yeah, there's that. But they lost to the Timberwolves, so make it three in a row. But Westbrook in these three games has 29 assists to three turnovers. 29 assists to three turnovers. He's only shot seven threes in these three games. And he's made three. He's missed four. Look, this is going to work. It is going to work. And it's going to work from the inception 
in the beginning of the whole thing because Lou understands I need to get out of this man's way and let him work. Westbrook can still get to the paint against anyone he wants whenever he wants. Fact. Fact check true. This guy blows past people still like it is nothing. May as well throw an OKC jersey on him because I wouldn't be able to tell you the difference. Westbrook is still very much, very much capable of running a professional offense at the highest level. And make no mistake, they're going to start winning. They have Golden State tomorrow. I don't think they're going to lose that game. We'll see. But this team's going to get into the playoffs. And when they do, and when they figure all this out, I would not want to play them. Especially if Lou understands he needs to get out of his guy's way for them to be successful. You see that right now with Texas Christian. And I want to tell you why. Jamie Dixon's biggest problem when he came over from Pittsburgh was he was trying to run things at Pittsburgh the way he did things and did not have the, the tantamount of the athlete to get to what he wanted to do, to be where he wanted to stand. And TCU has been bad, bad. But he finally was able to get some of the guys that he wants to run the program and system that he wants, was able to not get fired over these last few years, Texas Christian basketball, and it's been an abortion forever. And now Texas Christian, coming off another good win versus Texas, wields one of the most impressive resumes in the country. In the country. And after they played that horrible game versus Kansas with 22 turnovers and almost one, I'm here to tell you this team might be the best team in the country. Doesn't mean they're going to win anything. But I'm telling you, they got what you want. Ten deep interchangeable athletes. This is what he couldn't do earlier. This is what Dixon could not do. Everybody's starters can play defense, but you'll find imperfections in any sport, particularly football, when substitutions are made, cornerback goes down, some other nickel comes in to cover. There's all kinds of things you can take advantage of. But in basketball, mismatches are loud because of height. So when you have huge guards like he does now and big men that can guard the basketball, you can begin to switch. And that's what they do. And it works. Oh, does it work. And what I'm hearing from most people is that this is kind of a mirage. And, and I don't understand how a guy like Joe Lenardi can say that. I really don't. Damian Ball, best last name in the world, is one of the best guards I've ever seen. And the high screen and roll they run with Emmanuel Miller reminds me a lot of the greats that do this. And when you have a big guy that can release from a screen and roll, fake a pass, and then just pull up for a casual 16-footer and make that four out of five times, you become unstoppable. And that is nearly what this team is offensively when things are clicking. Here's what I love about TCU. They can't shoot the three for shit, and they don't try to because they know they can't. So here's a team that can win on the road in the best conference in one of the hardest places to play, win by 50, blow out a second half in Lawrence, And they can do all of this without having to be able to shoot the three-pointer, which is where basketball has come to inevitably. And I don't have a problem with the evolution of any sport. You don't want to go down low or hit mid-range jumpers, that's on you. TCU would love to do this. And that's why they're able to score in very, very unique situations where they're not going to shoot threes. I like it. I like what they have. I like their cohesion. And this coach who is every press conference just realizes more and more he needs to be less and less in these guys' area to let Ball get out and do what he wants. He reminds me a lot of Russell Westbrook, except he can shoot the three when he wants. 
But the layout of TCU is what it looks like when you get out of the way and let that man work. Right? The layout of what's happening in L.A. with Lou. Get out of the way. Let that man work. The same thing applies with the banquet sales. Get out the way. Let that woman work. What don't you like about making money? And get out of Money Mike's way in the kitchen. Just get out the way. The chick that owns the place he's at now gets that. They got the keys in his hand within five days of employment. He gets in there at six and preps everything for the work of three that he doesn't want. So just get out of his way and let the man work. You see what I'm saying? Be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. Follow us on Instagram at the Sports Antidote. Reach out, touch a brother, tell somebody about the Sports Antidote today. We will have our picks up for the conference tournament flashing up on the Instagram page. We're 8-6-1 ATS in college basketball. We started a little late, but be sure and follow that story. Tell people about the antidote. We'll be getting into the conference tournaments and, of course, the big tournament, the NIT. Everyone knows the NIT is, the where, is where you make the bets. I love the NIT. They still have road games, right? It's fun until they all go. I don't believe they go to the Garden anymore. I think it's out in Vegas. But either way, keep your eye on TCU. Keep your eye on the Clippers. And keep your eye on Bro Exotic. And speaking of which, has anybody seen Bro Exotic? Are you a white person who wants a lot of credit for helping to create racial equality while you do nothing to help create racial equality? If so, that means you want to be a woke white person. So listen up, because I'm going to give you your PhD in wokeology. How are you doing, bro? Uh, what's going on, dude? Bro Exotic, uh, Vice Pope of Cal, Church of Woke. What's going on, man? Sick. There's a lot going on, bro. Now, rather than prepare for this episode, I like to try to look at what you might talk about. Sometimes the Drudge Report will provide an accurate blueprint to the path that you want to take. However, on this week, I think it's going to come down to three major things occurring. I'm just going to lead off with the one I think is on the top of your list. Correct me if I'm wrong, bro, but I believe that your rock star mayor in New or in Chicago is no longer there, and that's probably a in the church work, I would imagine. Well, actually, no, it became a pretty good uh, financial opportunity for us, dude. Uh, so, right after she was taken out, like we immediately started organizing a Buffalo Right Wings Fest in Chicago. <laughs> um, of course. And for those of you who don't know, yeah, our uh, our cow church of woke are are uh, booming uh, chicken franchise. Buffalo Riot Wings. It's uh, it was put in place, uh, really to be destroyed <laughs> and torn down uh, during times where, uh, typically when it's police police brutality related. Uh, when George Floyd died, we opened up about fifty different chains, and they all burned down in the same day. And that's exactly what we're looking for. So, I mean, obviously, we're going to go nuts in Chicago over uh, Lori Lightfoot um, be uh, being taken out of office here. Uh, so, we're going to set up this festival. Uh, in preparation for the city's the, uh, the citywide Antifa riots, uh, due to the you know the country's first lesbian mayor of color, uh, Lori Lightfoot, she's so brave, women's rights, um, who's also in an interracial marriage by the way, uh, being removed from office due to minority and LG, uh, LGBTQQIP2SAA uh, voting restrictions, which as we all know is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, Christian, intersex. Pansexual, two-spirit, asexual, and ally. We all know this. Um, so we're just, uh, we're going to really ratchet it up, dude. We're going to uh, sit off the riots in Chicago. Um, we're going to give 
a place, a safe haven for riders to uh, just to burn the shit out of a building. And we're, we're just going to provide that for them. Uh, that's what we do at Buffalo Right Wings, um, Minority Rights. So we're just going to uh, we're going to go ahead and provide that. And uh, we're going to burn this thing down, baby. I, I can't believe uh, that somehow there are no. That your insurance adjuster is not listening to this, taking notes. It's incredible. The country we live in where this the most booming franchise restaurant group in North America is a building, a restaurant that will be burned to the ground with almost the inception of its grand opening. I think it's phenomenal. Well, now, actually, yeah, we we're, uh, progressive has expanded to uh, to uh, our type of insurance. And you know how woke oh, they are. So. Yeah, that's right. Progressive probably would cover that. Makes yeah. perfect sense. Uh, so, bro, let's talk about kind of these schematics and the makeup of this, you know, this recall that they had. And I believe you had a what was it last week? Not a recall. Uh, yeah, we uh, campaigned for uh, the brave, amazing mayor of New Orleans, Mayor uh, Latoya Cantrell, her decall election. Decall. Are, is there going to be a decall in Chicago? No, we're just going to burn the whole city down. Oh, got it. Okay, so you'll be there for that. I might come and I, I, I'll join you uh, pre-grand opening, but I'm probably going to leave uh, before the restaurant opens for many reasons. Yeah. Uh, of course, one obvious one. But what? Yeah, so, dude, we just we you know you never let a tragedy go to waste. Hashtag never let Saul a tragedy. Wait, I'm sorry. Hashtag what? Hashtag Solinsky. Yes, that, that's a great point. Uh, I, th- I thought you said that. I just didn't know the Church of Woke was all up in rules for radicals as well. But how could they not be? But bro, what when it comes to the numbers of this this recall? Look, have you been looking into any shadiness as far as the well, numbers? Well, yeah, dude. I mean, it's uh, look. I mean, this is obviously you know voter restriction uh, for the LGBTQ plus community and the minority mm-hmm. community. There's only been about you know three thousand people who uh, participated in this recall. So I mean, is, it's, is that the three thousand white people that are in Chicago? That's exactly <laughs> what happened, dude. Yeah, you're just proving my point even more. Just three thousand <laughs> white people voting, dude. Just totally, and they're probably all cisgender too. You already know that. I mean, oh, easily. Uh, there's no way. Everyone they're, knows this, you know. Every, even I know that. All three thousand white people live in Chicago, dude. They're all Bears fans, uh, and they uh, they all hook <laughs> up with chicks, dude. They're all the same. All cisgender, uh, just <laughs> MAGA MAGA flag waving trash, dude. And we saw what too that MAGA flag waving trash did to a very young actor. We've already seen this. So clearly it's not hard to understand what could be happening uh, with the Buffalo Ride Wings happening nearly simultaneously as Lori Lightfoot will be shown the door. So we can expect riots. We can expect wings to be on fire. Many things. But we can also expect the Church of Woke to be leading this charge. I believe you won't be in the back of that parade, probably up front. Correct. I'm going to be up front with uh, with Jesse Smollett. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. Hashtag BLM. Um, yeah, we're just we're we're gonna uh we're gonna march this one out, dude. Uh, just all the rights for uh for uh the uh LGBTQ uh, plus community of color. Um, we're gonna be standing there right next to Lori Lightfoot, uh, L Square as we call her. Uh, and we're gonna uh we're gonna have a great old time, just uh setting fire to this city. Uh, it's gonna be great, dude. It's gonna be a quite. Let's burn that piece of shit football stadium to the ground. They have. You guys thought about doing that? Absolutely, dude, because, you know, it's called Soldier Field. It's called Soldier Field and America, uh, this military, it's just terrible what we're, how we're devastating the whole world. So actually, yeah, we're canceling uh, Soldier Stadium, uh, Soldier Field, sorry. And we're going to, uh, yeah, we're going to set fire to that too, dude. That's that's not safe. It's not a safe place. 
Uh, well, especially especially due to the, all all the Buffalo Wild Wings we already have inside. Uh, oh, that's right. It's like Inception again. Yes. Yes, the Buffalo Ride Wings will burn in a fire that's taking place to another building. Wow, that is like a inception Ryan Wings, dude. Yeah, it's quite it's quite the spectacle. Yeah, I think Christopher Nolan may want to make a sequel to Inception and maybe incorporate some of this genius that you are letting flow our way here on the River of Love. So, bro, thanks for jumping in today. Just so I have everything straight here, Church Woke's not going to stand for this recall. There will not be a decall because instead of a decall. We're going to burn down new Buffalo Ride Wings, including the one in Soldier Field, and basically light the entire city on fire. Do I have that about right for our listeners? Yes, just uh, catastrophic damage is the only way to bring change in this country. Yes, uh, absolutely. So yeah. we That's the only way to put a message across. So we're just going to go ahead and uh, just keep on with the blueprint and, um, and just burn that whole thing down, yeah. Jailbreak blitz. There's no need for a cover three here. Jailbreak, the mascots in the huddle, everybody's coming in. The Church of Woke is coming, and I'm coming. So we look forward to seeing what happens next week, bro. I uh, wish you your safety, of course. Godspeed on your flight to Chicago. And we look forward to having you on next week. Yeah, dude. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, no joke, stay woke. Uh, hashtag uh, justice for uh, Jesse Smollett. And uh, we'll see you next week, dude. We'll <laughs> see you next week. <laughs> All right. Cheers, dude. They have their place, I guess. But first, send the Marines. Tommy Bench joins the Sports Antidote here. How you doing there, bud? Doing well, Chief. Doing well. Good, good. Well, so much going on these days. I really don't know what direction you're going to go. I think I have an idea. I can speak to nearly any of them because I, I believe you sent me a very cryptic text, but that's okay. Why don't you take us away? I have a feeling we're going to be talking about a little Ukraine, perhaps, but let's see. A little, a little Ukraine that you know what is quickly becoming a vassal state of the U.S. Uh, foreign policy slash military industrial complex. Um, now, what's interesting about Ukraine, as with most things, there's there's a wide spectrum of beliefs and opinions, and, and yes, the beliefs and opinions are kind of sorting themselves along political lines. There's the, you know, we should do whatever it takes for as long as it takes to help you know, help them to victory. And that's largely seen more on, on the left. And, and I think if we're being honest, that's largely because it gives Democrats and liberals cover to look tough on the world stage. Because obviously, if Trump is a, put, a stooge for Putin, anybody who stands against Putin needs their undying help forever and ever. Amen. Of course. With, without explanation, without any justification of expenditures, just keep writing the checks. The flip side is, you know, you've got some people and I literally have heard somebody talk about how, well, you know, Putin's just really going after the child pedophilia rings and the bioweapons labs. And you just stand there and hear people say that and go, OK, all right. <laughs> and, and as with most things in life, reasonable people can disagree about what we should be doing. So one and, and of the more, I'd say, reasonable arguments. Right. Here's a reasonable argument I've heard. This is the war we've wanted for 60 years. What do I mean by that? This is the chance where we get to kill and, and essentially uh, remove from the chessboard the Russian Soviet, but we now call them the Russians, but it's essentially the, the Soviets attempting to reach back power, but degrade the Russian military to a point where they can't even project power regionally, let alone globally. Right. We're going to degrade their military to the point where they are essentially an ineffective fighting force that we do not have to worry about. We've wanted to do that for decades. And 
we're having the ability to do it by simply just writing checks and supplying the Ukrainians with ammunition and arms. And I know there's there are these reports that pop up like, well, no, U.S. service members are dying because they're over there providing support operations. And, and it's always hard to know if the reporting is legitimate. I, I got to believe if there were families getting, you know, knocks on the door, you know, sorry, your, your son, your daughter's been killed in action. Those families would be on Fox News telling their side of how their son or daughter died in Ukraine. So I, I'm just leery of believing that narrative that I see pop up someplace on social media. But but that's the one argument. The one argument is simply by writing checks, we are getting to degrade the Russian military. And believe it or not, I, I hear that. And I do actually assign some value to through simply using our economic might, we are able to degrade the Russian military and kill a lot of Russian soldiers and destroy a lot of Russian arms and material. So that's that's the one reasonable argument. The other reasonable argument I hear is by standing tough to Putin and and essentially bankrolling the Ukrainians fight against him, we're showing China that we actually get upset when people disregard borders, you know, not our own border, you know, side note. But we get upset when other foreign countries um, violate borders of other foreign countries that we say are somewhat friendly to us. Okay, I hear that too. I hear that too. That's there's there's reasonable a reasonable amount of effort that should be put forth to deterring China from doing similar things. The flip side, and again, reasonable arguments on the flip side are: where's all this money going? Ukraine is an incredibly corrupt place. We have no idea if this money's ending up in the right places. We have no idea the kind of actors out there. And now it starts getting a little more. I don't want to say extreme, but a little more political when it's like, well, the Azov Battalion and they're all a bunch of neo-Nazis and maybe they are Nazis and Putin's rooting out the Nazis. And I, I, look, are, are there probably some Ukrainian soldiers with some ill intent uh, with respect to their political ideology? I'm sure there are some. Uh, can you paint the entire Ukrainian military as a bunch of neo-Nazis? I, I think that's a harder stretch. Um, but I hear the argument of where's all this money going? You know, there's a lot of corruption going on, and, and those are fair criticisms. I also hear the criticisms, well, we should be spending that money on, on U.S. veterans and U.S. service members or the U.S. border. Totally agree with all that. My counterpoint to that statement would be we can walk and chew gum at the same time. I do think it's possible to execute a foreign policy strategy and a domestic strategy here. All right. Uh, the most compelling argument in opposition to nearly unlimited and unending funding toward the Ukrainian military to fight off the Russians is we are seriously depleting our arms and ammunition stockpiles. And, and the truth is, depending on, <clears throat> excuse me, what reports you read and from what sources, we are, you know, in the next six to 12 months, if they keep consuming artillery shells and various munitions at the rate they are continuing to consume them, we will be in a position where we would not be able to effectively execute U.S. military operations abroad. You know, some people might not know this, but the, the doctrine of power projection of the U.S. military since the end of World War II is the idea that we could fight a two front, either a two front wars or two separate single front wars. Uh, in other words, we maintain military strength and the ability to project power abroad so that we could either fight, you know, two enemies who are allied together on two different continents or two totally separate conflicts that are unrelated, but are in two different places. Think world war two. You had the European theater of combat 
and the Pacific Theater of Combat. And, and we were able to, utilizing our economic might and translating that into arms, munition, and putting 12 million men in uniform um, and some women. There were some women who were in uniform too, can't forget. I don't know about the 73 other genders back then. I, I think it was only men and women in uniform at that time. Uh, that was something we were able to do, and that's, that's something we continue to strive to be able to do. That's probably the biggest thing that concerns me. Honestly, the, the discussions of, oh, we're spending all this money and we don't know where it's going. Hey, look, I, I think you need to assume about 50% of all of our foreign aid is wasted in corruption. When you look at the kind of countries we send it to, you're fooling yourself if you think most of our foreign aid actually ends up for its intended purpose. It, it's mostly lubricating the, the wheels of corruption in third world, you know what holes, as our uh, former president used to refer to them as. Um, but, but this degradation of our ability to fully stockpile munitions and arms is something that very much concerns me. So, all right, so where do I land? I, I, I land in the, if I were a politician right now, if I were a member of Congress, you could probably get me to begrudgingly vote for certain types and amounts of funding to Ukraine, but I would want something in return. That's, that's, I would use this as a bargaining chip. I would say, you want me to vote for this next $50 billion package? Okay, I want $5 billion of border wall funding. Or I want you to insert a couple of lines in here that says the state of Texas can do whatever they want and we'll rescind all federal environmental regulations that are holding them up. Or we'll just blanket approve all permits necessary for the construction of a border wall. I, I would, I, I could get to the point of voting for Ukraine funding, but I would get something in return. That, that would be the approach I would take with it, because I don't think it's a morally bad thing. I think we have financial challenges with the debt that we have and rising interest rates and all those things. But I, I see some value to stacking up Russian bodies and degrading their military. What, what holds me back from being a full-throated you know, flag in the Instagram profile and all that kind of stuff is, is the corruption. That concerns me significantly. But it's also... Nobody's able to articulate what an end state is that we are seeking to achieve. I mean, are, are we seeking the complete and total destruction and annihilation of the Russian military and we're going to push them back to Moscow? I, I don't think so. I don't think that's a realistic expectation unless we're going to put U.S. boots on the ground, which we're not going to do. Are we seeking to get them out of Ukraine proper circa 2021 borders? In other words, They'll keep Crimea, but we'll get them out of the Donbas and, and, and the Donetsk and Luhansk region, those eastern regions that the Wagner military group or the Wagner group has been operating in, you know, low intensity conflict for the past five to six years. Is that the end state? Is the end state? Nope. They get Crimea and everything back. So somebody in the U.S. foreign policy, uh, you know, apparatus needs to articulate, mean, because it's not going to come from the president. But somebody from the U.S. foreign policy, the State Department, needs to articulate, here are the objectives we would like to see accomplished, and then start working toward them. Because right now, we're just writing blank checks. And look, again, it's great to stack Russian bodies and, and destroy their equipment and degrade their military ability to operate. But without a clear end state, what are we doing here? What is the company's strategy? What is the end state or the goal <laughs> we would like to achieve? And, and what's frustrating is, you know, in the fall, the Ukrainians were actually starting to push the Russians back. That would have been the time to negotiate. That would have been the time to say, all right, uh, Vlad, you can keep Crimea and the Donbass region, but not the Luhansk region or the Donetsk region, but not the Donbass region. Um, and, and we won't join NATO. I, I'm, I'm 
it's really confusing what the desired end state. And, and, and really, a lot of it probably will boil down to what is our willingness to support Ukraine in taking back Crimea or not? And, and then another, uh, another decision point that needs to be made is, one, what is the end state? And then two, what do you do to get Ukraine to that end state? Um, you know, there's all this like, well, we'll give them this many tanks, but not F-16s. We'll give them high Mars, but not Patriot missile systems. We'll give them this, but not that. Look, if we're going to open up the checkbook, uh, you know, the only thing we shouldn't give them are things we're concerned that if the Russians shoot down and get a hold of it would degrade our military ability. So to me, F-35s are off the table, right? You don't want the Russians getting a hold of an F-35 and shipping it back to, you know, their labs and facilities and dissecting it and, and reverse engineering the technology. And well, and of course, Russia would immediately sell it to the Chinese um, and, and they would do that. So short of that, I, it's almost kind of like, well, what's what's why is anything off the table? It's just it's very inconsistent. We need a consistent strategy and then work toward that end state and strategy uh, in terms of concern of you know, wow, Putin will use a nuclear weapon. It seems like every 60 days we have to go through this hand wringing about Putin using a tactical nuclear weapon. I'd like to have the confidence that somebody in the CIA or State Department through some back channel communication has essentially let Putin know, like, look, we're, we're just going to keep farting around doing what we're doing. <laughs> but if you use a tactical nuke, I will destroy every piece of Russian armor that is in Ukraine overnight. Because that's honestly, that is what I would do. If I were president and somebody wakes me up in the middle of the night, sir, we just received confirmed reports that a tactical nuke was used in eastern Ukraine. I would not even bat an eyelash. I would say, get the Joint Chiefs. In six hours, I want to plan for how every single piece of Russian armor and equipment that is currently inside the borders of Ukraine is destroyed within 24 hours. How many drones do we need? How many F-35s? I, I destroy every single thing that is owned by the Russian state that is in Ukraine. And that that's what I would do um, in terms of retribution. I wouldn't destroy anything in Russia. I'd destroy anything in Ukraine. And I got to imagine somebody's made that point to Putin or some sort of, if you cross that red line, we will do something. Now, the danger with that, again, going back and forth, the flip side of that is, are you saying you put US troops on the ground? No, not if he used a tac tactical nuke. But then the question is, well, what if we responded some way and then he escalates by, you know, they shoot down one of our fighter jets. Ooh, okay. Well, that gets, you know, then I'd probably do the, the you know, let's get a UN resolution, USP, UN peacekeeping force in there, multinational, you know, band of nations. But then you're going to have dead Americans. You're going to have dead Americans and dead European soldiers because uh, you put en enough people with conflicting interests with guns in that small a piece of the world, you're going to have some bad things happen. So again, Without any strategic clarity of what we're trying to accomplish, it's going to continue to be this, you know, just mealy mouth, confusing thing. What are we doing? We're doing this. We're giving them this, but not giving them that. And again, the open checkbook at some point will have to come to an end. And what will really be destructive is if this goes on for another two or three years, and then a Republican president's in there and the Republican president says, look, we're, we're just not doing this forever. So if, if the Democrats were smart, and Biden was smart, he'd work to secure, he'd work to come to it. Here's, he would articulate the end state and then do everything that's needed to be done to accomplish it in three to six months and not let it drag on for too long. But being smart and competent is not a hallmark of this administration. So I have little hope that anything that definitive will be accomplished uh, in the next few months. <laughs> yeah. So moving on, it's been a long time since we've talked about COVID because I think as with most people, 
most of our audience, most Anadotians, and most reasonable people have moved on. I am still amazed when I see young, healthy people wearing masks in public. I am still amazed when I see young, healthy people, or just people in general, wearing a mask in their car by themselves. I, I like. I'm now at the point I almost want to knock on their window and say, "Like, who hurt you? What? What can like? Can I? Can I pray with you? Can I? Can I help you in some way? Because." whatever broke in your brain that is causing you to think you need to wear a mask inside your car by yourself. Like I I would honestly say, I think you're bordering on a mental condition. There is a defect in your mind. If you think that is, that is an action or a behavior you still need to be doing at this point. Well, wouldn't a lot of that just be kind of classified as, I mean, not the, the, what's the uh, virtue signaling, but if you're that scared still, and and you were really, clearly you're still concerned about everything. You would theoretically, if that was, the, you would never leave your house. So right. you would never go in your car to begin with. You would never go to the grocery store. You would never go to a bar. You would just do Uber eats until you die. Right. Right. So right. then if that's the case, like I saw some lady doing this recently on an airplane. That's totally fine. Like I, I, I saw mass on planes before COVID. We, we talked right. about this, right? If you, but like, yeah, like that's a bubble boy situation. And I just find it hard to believe you would leave your house if you're going to mask up alone in your car. Right. I guess. So the real thing to talk about COVID, you know, in the last week or two, a lot of stories have come out. The Department of Energy released a report. And I want to be very specific here because some people, you know, immediately go, they say it came from the lab. They issued a report that said they believe it came with a lab. And that finding they issue with low confidence. Now, what's interesting is they stated with high confidence it was not part of a Chinese bioweapons program and was intentionally released. So that so just by saying like it wasn't intentionally released, it's almost like, but you're saying it was released. So you're saying with high confidence it was not part of a biological weapons program and it was not intentionally released, but it kind of ipso facto is saying that you believe it was released just in that statement alone. But so they said with low confidence, but what's interesting is they did not make any statement with any level of confidence that it was a natural or zoonotic origin. In other words, it jumped from some sort of animal to a human, but they, so it's, it's kind of like, well, this is the running theory that nobody's really made a definitive case that it's zoonotic and here's the origin animal and here's the animal where it jumped and yada, yada. But all these agencies have come out and been like, well, low confidence, undecided. The FBI said with moderate confidence, they believe it came out of a lab. So I think most people at this point are acknowledging that it came out of a lab. The Do you interesting... want to you go? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go for it. I, I was going to say, it, it, there's a lot of videos resurfacing from a couple of years ago where Acosta asked Trump, you know, he's trying to get that gotcha on him. Right. And Trump basically explains what he thought was happening. And he was basically, you know, I mean, that was it. Right. Oh, my God, this guy's insane. Pretty right. much. It's an interview. It, it did age well for the orange man. It, it, aged it did. Well. It, did. <laughs> it um, really did. There's another one. I think it's Tom Cotton made the point and said, you know, if there was a chocolate spill in Hershey, Pennsylvania, you know, chocolate just started appearing somewhere. You might think it's connected to the Hershey's milk chocolate factory in the town, <laughs> right? You might, yeah. One might think, okay, you might want to check there. Um, so it, it's sort of one of these. 
you knew it was true by how hard they pressed against it and how hard in the paint they came. Uh, anyone who, especially reasonable people who try to say, look, it, it seems this is possible. We should look into it. No, absolutely not. And, and this is where the medical establishment and to science and all these people following uh, ta, 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 went wrong. They made <laughs> statements with such definitiveness that you were wrong. And this is, you know, X, Y, Z. Natural immunity is not a thing. And, and vaccines work and they prevent spread. And they, they just made these statements with such definitiveness that when it turns out they weren't correct and because of how definitive they were. In other words, if they had, if they had hedged a little bit and said, look, we think the vaccines will offer a pretty decent measure of protection against infection. But what we're really counting on is they're going to you know, reduce severe, uh, severe hospitalization and death. That's what we're really expecting them to reduce. <clears throat> If they would have said that, they would have given themselves some wiggle room. But it was, and we've all seen the montages of videos of, you know, oh, this will stop the spread. Stop the spread. Stop the spread. The vaccine will stop the spread. The vaccine will, and then, of course, six months later, it's be like, oh, we never said that. Or, you know, the lab leak theory, it was, you're a lunatic. You're crazy. And, and several people, I think Bill Maher recently came out and, and basically made the point that, look, as the left, and he is a person of the left, we have to stop reacting to some things people on the right say and maybe gains popularity over there just because they're saying it. Because just because they're saying it doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong. And if we constantly react by saying, that's not it, then we're going to look foolish, especially if we're so definitive and so adamant that natural immunity is not a thing that can be counted on. <laughs> yeah, why would you ever look to that? And I mean, then and <laughs> you start looking foolish. So... <laughs> You know, unfortunately, I do. I, I think this pattern is going to continue. And what will be scary and what will be concerning is if there is some other, you know, some pandemic that really does kill two to three percent of kids and infects. Right. Because because there's going to be such an erosion of trust of these people. Nobody's going to believe them at first. Um, and, and it'll be it'll be very sad that they've eroded the trust of, of such large segments of the population. It's not exclusively people on the right. There's there's widespread mistrust of a lot of large institutions throughout the political spectrum, um, and and it's to their own detriment. So in the future, they should just not make such declarative, definitive statements unless they know it to be true. Uh, I agree. Versus... I think I, I think they should just watch South Park because we all know what started the pandemic. It's Mickey Mouse and Randy Marsh got high in China and had sex with a pangolin. I believe is right. how it's <laughs> and then that is. Right. Clearly, that's what happened. Everybody knows this. Uh, but, you know, uh, yeah. Well, I would, when this was going on, though, and, and even, you know, I remember having about four bottles of wine one night and going deep in thought here. And I just remember thinking, is it really outlandish to think that a virology place that specializes in certain types of research on all types of microorganisms and diseases, is it so crazy to think that something could have got out of that lab and then spread like wildfire throughout humanity? I, honestly, even when it first came out, I still would have said, you know what, 51% chance, heavy side of a coin flip. I'll put my money that that's the case. It just seemed like when people were, like you said, shooting it down, it didn't, like you said, the chocolate thing. It doesn't seem that crazy when you just say right. it out loud. It really doesn't until you make it seem like it's an Alex Jones tinfoil situation, but it's not. Right. So, yeah. and, and again, if this would Probably have been some, right, some remote village in northwest China where it popped up, <laughs> You know, a place where they eat a lot of raw animals and they're in constant contact with livestock. 
and then it spread from there. Okay. I mean, I, I think, cause that's what you see with Ebola and a lot of diseases that will come out of, you know, um, various parts of Africa. There's usually it, it, the story holds up a little better. All right. It's some remote village in the middle of nowhere. All right. It probably came from an animal. Okay. Um, eating bush meat or things like that. But this is like, they're claiming the epicenter of it was 400 meters away from a virology Institute and they're not connected at all. No, not connect. You know, you don't need Sherlock Holmes detection to understand that there could be a connection between those two things. But I think the chocolate factory example you gave me is the best one I've ever heard in my life. You said that was cotton that said that. I think it was Tom cotton. It's pretty funny because that is. No, you know what? I'm sorry. You know who it was? It was John Stewart. I was in. It was John Stewart. Oh, that's right. He got trashed for that, too. He did. Because he said it about six months ago when it was. Yeah. He said it on Stephen Colbert. It was on Colbert. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, you can see Colbert's body language just shift like a like a sweaty hen. He kind of right. crossed his legs the other way. He was like, whoa, 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 what do you mean? In other yeah. words, we didn't we didn't talk about that one before the show. Uh, <laughs> so that Absolutely. was pretty funny. Oh, well, no, he threw it was kind of a cur- it was. I mean, it's still a cabbage ball. You should be able to defend that. But Colbert, it's about as scripted as it gets. And God, what a ju- what a just an absolute embarrassment that man is. He is just the everything that just the effeminate, reactionate, reactionary, just idiot. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't believe I have one of his books from like 15 years ago. I'm America and you can too. Oh, you I, should throw that away. I got rid of it a while ago because it was kind of a dumb book. But like that guy has just completely gone off the rafters. But anyway, I don't want to take your time on that. Tommy, anything you want to close with here? No, just the South Park skit about Harry and Meghan. is absolutely oh, terrible. Oh, man. That guy. Hit that they, out of the park. People that don't watch South Park, and I don't know. I my wife, them. my wife watched large segments <laughs> of that. Oh, that just made my year. <laughs> and she loved it. Oh, she Mrs. loved. It. She's like, oh, they nailed it. They, they nailed it. <laughs> oh man, nobody likes these people. And the thing is, is that South Park has been doing this for years. Like after the BP spill, the BP. CEO, I'm sorry, he's touching his nipple. Like, they just destroy things. But this was on a tee for them, and they couldn't have nailed it any harder. And I agree. I think it brought everyone together. Because right. it's no like, one it's like It's like Epstein not killing himself. We right. all agree. Right. We all know. <laughs> sure. Nobody likes them. They're awful. They're terrible. Anybody who's given them the benefit of the doubt. In fact, I heard a report that after <laughs> that South Park episode, their, their approval ratings dropped like another five to six, like a statistically significant amount of drop. In their approval ratings and and or favorability ratings, which I totally believe. Totally believe. Yeah. So. <laughs> this great Mrs. Bench. For those of you who don't know Mrs. Bench, she is not in to South Park, but she also is not into Meghan Markle and her That's right. husband. So anyway, we could all hold hands on that one. Thank the Lord. All right, Bench. Well, that was hilarious. I, you dropped that on me a little late. That was funny. But I'll talk to you soon. We'll probably have you on next week. I'm sure there'll be no shortage of uh, bountiful news stories for you to prey upon. Of course not. All right, out here. Later. Did I change up the conclusionary music to the montage music of Rocky climbing up the mountain in Rocky IV in Siberia somewhere, fighting off a polar bear and a wolf to scream Drago's name on top of the mountain? Yes, I have. This might be a permanent fixture. This song makes me excited to get out and do some goddamn work, to get up and go to the gym and hit the weights to get up, make a presentation, execute the company strategy, and to get up 
to preach to the Anadotian faithful. Thanks to the drunk neighbor in spirit. Wedding will be awesome. Thanks to Tommy Bench. Thanks to Bro Exotic. Drago! Drago! Keep it real, Anadotians.